redeemed. That's a really big word. Redeemed. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what it means to have that? And do you understand what it is to not have that? To be redeemed. To be bought back. To be won back. To be snatched. The the book of Jude says to be snatched out of the fire. If you're not redeemed, you're still in the fire. You can't get out of the fire. To be redeemed, spiritually speaking, is to be won back, bought back, rescued. Last week I told you that the story of Ruth and Boaz is a shadow of the coming Messiah. More than a thousand years in advance. It is a shadow. It's a preview. It's an image, a shadowy image of the fulfillment that will occur when Jesus comes. The Redeemer. Boaz was a wealthy Jew living under the law of God. And Ruth, the other character in the story, was a pagan Moabite widow. A Gentile. So you've got this rich Jewish man, and you've got this poor, has to go out and work in the fields to stay alive, Moabite widow. This is an unlikely couple. Redeemed. Boaz was willing to risk his estate. He was willing to risk everything to take a Gentile bride. Are you hearing me? Do you see a shadow? He was willing to risk everything, lay down everything to take a Gentile bride. And what was it that this Gentile bride said as she moves from Moab back to Bethlehem? She says this, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She's she's coming with the intentions of being one with the Jewish people, one with the Jewish God, but she has no idea what's about to take place. She has no idea what God's about to do. Boaz was willing to risk everything to make her one with him, one with him. Now listen, I need to tell you this, as, as Ruth moves from Moab back to to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. She has a sister named Orpah, and she's going to remain in Moab. And here's the reason I say that. Not every Gentile will be redeemed. Are you listening? That's what makes this so critical. Ruth's sister-in-law, Orpah, has gone back to Moab. Do you see the shadow? There are the redeemed, but there are those that are not redeemed. And the difference between those redeemed and those not redeemed is a redeemer, singular one. It's not a shadow anymore. Oh, it's still a shadow. When you read the book of Ruth, it's still a shadow, a reflection that is coming in the Messiah. But it's not a secret shadow. Nope, nope. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, has revealed this secret in the last days. And whether you want to admit it or not, the Bible is clear. We are the the generations that live in the last days. And in the last days, the secret of the shadow you read in Ruth is revealed. 
I'm going to read it to you. Because if I read the secret to you, it's not a secret anymore, is it? Colossians 1.25. Here it comes. God has given me the responsibility. This is the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. It's us. God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming what? The entire message to you. This message was kept secret for generations, for centuries past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. What's the secret? What's the message? For God wanted you to know that the riches and the glory of Christ, he's the Redeemer. The riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Somebody say hallelujah. The riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. It won't be a secret after today, right? And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. And why? Because this gives you assurance you're going to be if Christ lives in me, then I live in him. Then the two of us have become one. And if I'm in him and he's in me, and that means we're in the Father. And that means I'm in the family. And that means I'm a child of God. And that means the family name of God has become my name. Because Jesus is my brother and I am one with him. And that means that I am in the Father. Because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Redeemed. A Jewish man named Jesus will choose to redeem a Gentile bride. I told you the story of Ruth is a shadow because this shadow was fulfilled when a Jewish man named Jesus decides to take a Gentile bride and make her a permanent part of his family. It's called the church. And when he gives us the Holy Spirit, when he takes us as a bride, when we become one with Christ, guess what happens? Guess what happens? We take the family name. The family name becomes my name. Because if God is my father, I am in the family. I take the family name. Do you know what that's going to be worth? Everything. Everything. And what is the church? The bride of Christ. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jews, Gentiles, it doesn't matter. Together under the family of Abraham. Abraham can't redeem you. But Abraham was the one through the promise that the promise was given to. But now, now the rest of the story. Redeemed and rescued, part two. Let me give you the context in case you played hooky last week. Boaz has fallen for Ruth. Boaz is called the first in line because Boaz is number two in this family redeemer Jewish thing. So he's called the first in line family redeemer to redeem Ruth, but he has refused to do so. Why? It'll cost me too much, too risky. Too risky to take a Moabite bride. 
The elders of the city have been assembled as Boaz announces his decision to be Ruth's redeemer and to take her as his bride. He's going to do it. He's assembled witnesses. Now, let's continue with the story. Ruth 4 verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahon. The whole family's name now is going to come under. Listen, this is big. The whole family's name is going to come under Boaz. Because he's going to take, he's going to redeem them. In essence, redeeming all of them under him. And with the land I have acquired, and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. Do you know what it means when he says to be my wife? Listen, can't, can't jump over this. In God's perspective, is it Genesis 3, Genesis 4? can't remember. In God's perspective, the two become one. So if he takes Ruth, Ruth becomes Boaz, and Boaz becomes Ruth. One. You're going to need to know why that's important. You're going to need to know why that's important to be my wife. This way, she can have a son. Why? To carry on the family name. Why? Under Jewish order, the name must continue. That's why you have to have a redeemer. A man has to marry the widow in the family so that the name's not lost. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Boaz doesn't accept a little bit of the responsibility, does he? No. He accepts all the responsibility. And he accepts the commitment of a family redeemer. He accepts it all. The property, the wife, the honoring the dead, the preserving the family name. Boaz does this in front of witnesses. The elders and the crowd assembled at the city gate to make sure, to make sure everybody knows that he's made a promise. In essence, let me say, in essence, that moment, he has taken Ruth as his bride. She just doesn't know it yet. But basically at that moment, he has taken a bride. The elders... The leaders in Bethlehem replied, and if you think Boaz and Ruth, this thing is prophetic, and I, I do think the whole Boaz and Ruth picture is prophetic, wait until you read what the elders pray in response. Now, he's assembled these elders at the city gate of Bethlehem, and he has announced to these elders, I'm taking Ruth as my wife. I'm going to redeem her, and I'm convinced the Holy Spirit must be ever-present in that scene because the elders are going to respond with three blessings, supernatural, prophetic, in the future blessings in front of Boaz. Remember, 
I've told you multiple times, everything in the Old Testament is revealing Messiah, Jesus. So here we go. He's just told everybody, I'm taking Ruth. I'm taking the property. I'm going to be the redeemer. And what do they say? Verse 11. Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord, they're calling on the name of the Lord. May the Lord make this woman, Ruth, who is coming into your home. May the Lord make Ruth like Rachel and Leah. Here's the first blessing. May the Lord make Ruth like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. What's the first blessing? May the Lord make Ruth like Rachel and Leah through which all the Jewish people found life. Number two. And may you, Boaz, prosper in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. Number two. And number three, oh, this is the big one. This is the big one. Number three, verse 12. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Do you have any idea how prophetic that was, what just happened? This is a thousand years before Jesus is born. Do you understand how powerful this is? So I want to look at the three blessings. Today I want to reveal the secret of the shadow. I want you to look at the three blessings. The first one was, may the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. Let me translate. May you have many children. Many, many, many children. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob. Rachel and Leah were the wives of Jacob, plural. He had more than one wife. Jacob's name became Israel. So she's the wife. These two women are the wives of Israel. Leah gave Jacob six sons and one daughter. Rachel gave Jacob two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. You might recognize that these two women's sons only equal eight. I thought there were 12. There are 12. Rachel's handmaid gave Jacob two sons, and Leah's handmaid gave Jacob two sons also. Now, hold that thought. Back to Ruth. Ruth is a widow. Her husband had died. He died without giving her any sons. That's the whole concept of needing a redeemer. The family name was going to die. Ruth's husband's family name was going to die unless there's a redeemer. That would be the end of them. If Ruth had had a son by her first husband, there would be no need for a redeemer. There was no male child to carry on the name. And the law, the Jewish law requires what? The name must continue. Remember that. You'll need to know that later. The name must continue. How in the world can we get a name that never ends? You'll need a redeemer. Here is the main point of this blessing. May God give you, Boaz and Ruth, as many children as he gave Jacob. I'm going to ask everybody a question. Would you know a blessing if you saw one? 
Because this is one that God announces. Many, 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 many children. Would you know a blessing if you saw one? In Psalms 127, verse 3, here's what the Word of God says. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the enemy's gates, at the city gates. Would you know a blessing if you saw one? I want you to understand something. The blessing that they offer Boaz and Ruth in this monumental moment is may he give you many, 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 many children. Well, let's bring that to modern day. Last year, 2018, about 3.8 million babies were born in the United States. Not to one family. They were scattered out. Many, many, many. Last year in the United States, 3.8 million babies were born in this country, which is 2% lower than the number born in 2016. It is the lowest, listen to me, it is the lowest recorded number of births in 30 years. Something's happening. It is the lowest number of recorded births in 30 years. The birth rate and children per household is on a drastic decline in our country. So I'm going to ask you again, would you know a blessing if you saw one? Are you sure? You would know what a blessing looks like? It's interesting to me that in the same time window, in these 30 years, in the same time window, everybody's houses are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But the number of children is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. What's, what does that mean? What, what, what's, what does that mean? Does that make any sense? Everybody's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger houses with more and more and more and more rooms, but you got less and less and less people to put in the houses. Would you know a blessing if you saw one? Now, I've told you several times, I'm one of four boys. There's five years from the oldest to the youngest. And we grew up out in Birdie. And we grew up in Birdie in a house. And I'm going to tell you, there were two bunk beds in one room. And the room, I'm going to guess, was 12 by 12. And there was enough oxygen in that room for four boys. We would open the window and we needed more. <laughs> I can remember you could jump from the top bunk to the top bunk. And we did okay. Would you know a blessing when you saw one? Because what, what I found is that when you ask people, why, why, why is this decline? Why are people having less and less and less children? Because they can't afford them. Maybe your house is too big. Maybe there's other reasons. What is the blessing? Now, I've had the opportunity to go to Haiti two times. And I'll just tell you, when I left Haiti both times, there's something that I'll never get out of my head. It's a people, quite frankly, have nothing. I don't wish Haiti's environment on America. That's not my point. But I'll, there is a part I wish upon America. Their family structure is incredible. Because you know what? 
That's all they got is each other. It's all they got. And when it's all you got, I'm going to tell you what, they're so tight. It's unbelievable how tight they are. They, they pile up in one little room, sleep on the floor, but they got many children. You see, there's only one thing that we're going to take out of this world into the next one. And it won't be your house and it won't be your stuff. People have told me my whole life, you can't take it with you. Well, I'm going to tell you what, there's something I can take with me. My children and my grandchildren, they're going with me. I don't care about the house and all the stuff. Would you know a blessing when you saw one? Would you know what it looks like? By the way, by the way, just in case you think I'm, I'm going off the, the, the wrong road here, God has never rescinded his command that he gave to Noah to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If you think he has, show it to me. Don't give me your opinion. Show it to me. He has never rescinded that command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Why? God wants many children. He wants children. Jesus wants many brothers and sisters. That's what he wants. Do you doubt me? Hebrews 2.10. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring what? God, he's made everything. He chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader. What's Jesus going to do? Fit to bring them into salvation. Bring them into their salvation. So now, Jesus, the one who makes holy Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. What's that tell you? Jesus and the, one he makes, the ones he makes holy, those he, he redeems, have the same Father. That is why Jesus, here he comes. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He wants many. Many. Twelve children came out of Jacob. And these elders pronounce a blessing upon Ruth and Boaz. May you have many, many, many children. Would you know what a blessing looks like if you saw one? You see, when Jesus became your brother, when Jesus became my brother, when he redeemed me, he became my brother. Guess, guess what happened? I took his name. When the bride is married to the husband. She takes his name. And when I, the bride of Christ, I'm the church, you're the church. It's not a building. It's not an organization. When the church takes on, when the husband, the bridegroom takes on a bride, the bride takes his name. And I'm going to tell you, listen carefully. Listen to what I'm about to say. If you are redeemed, if you take his name, your name is eternal. Because your name is his name. You have become one. It is an eternal name. And what was the whole idea of the Redeemer? So that the name will not be lost. It'll keep going. But what if you don't get redeemed? And what if you're not eternal? And what if you don't get his name? What? Your name will be forgotten. Forever. 
You know what happens in hell? Nothing. You disappear. I mean, you have an existence. I believe you're in agony. And yes, I also believe it's forever. But you're, the, you're unknown. At some point, you're a forgotten memory. It's as if you never existed. You disappear. Because the living are in a family with names that never end. And eventually, I don't know about the transition period, what, you, what people, everybody wants to know, will you know those names? Will you remember those who are lost? I don't know. But I know this. They are the forgotten people. They will disappear from eternity. Why? They don't have the name of the family name of the children of God. God the Father wants many children. It's clear. Jesus the Son wants many brothers and sisters. It's clear. And one more point before I go to the second blessing. I find it very, very interesting that the two great social issues of our time, the two great social issues of the last days, homosexuality, and abortion. Neither one produce children. Isn't that interesting? God wants many children, but these social issues don't produce this lifestyle that the social is trying to put upon, even upon the church. They don't produce children, and God wants many sons and daughters, and Jesus wants many brothers and sisters. And I'm going to tell you, your stuff ain't going to heaven. Your stuff ain't going to be on the new earth. But your children can be. Would you know a blessing if you saw one? Number two. The number two blessing was may you prosper in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. There's always a risk when it comes to prosperity. You ever noticed it? May you prosper in Bethlehem and may you be prosperous and famous. That's the blessing, prosperous and famous. There's always a risk when it comes to prosperity. If you notice the other redeemer said, it's too risky. I can't risk my estate. There's a risk of personal loss. The blessing of the elders was this, may the risk bring you the blessing and the reward of prosperity. Boaz was a man of wealth, right? It's clear he was a wealthy man, willing to risk his wealth, listen, and his name. What are the people going to think if Boaz takes on a young, much younger Moabite widow Gentile? He's risking his name to take her. Are you with me? He's risking his name. He's risking his prosperity, his wealth. The name of Boaz was greatly respected. Prosperity without respect is of little value. It's interesting to me that Ruth and Boaz were both listed in the Bible as noble character. And I'm going to tell you that your name is the foundation of any prosperity. If you don't have a name, if your name doesn't have character associated with it, prosperity becomes meaningless. 
Let's look at Boaz first, Ruth 2 verse 1. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. He's wealthy, he's influential. He's got a good name, right? Now let's look at Ruth, Ruth 3.11. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows. Everybody in town knows what? You're a woman of virtue. They both got good names. Boaz was a man of standing and influence, and Ruth is a virtuous woman. I'm going to ask you a question today. What is the value of your name? What's the value? What do people say about you at work? What's the first thing that comes to somebody's mind when your name comes up in the community? What do people associate with your name? As a man, as a woman, as a wife or a husband, what do they say about you? Does it matter? Is prosperity directly connected to a person's name? In Proverbs 12, 4, it says, A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like a cancer in his bones. Proverbs 31 Verse 10, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Proverbs 31, 23, her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits. He's respected, right? He sits at the city gates with honor. He sits with the elders or the civic leaders. I want to tell you something. Christianity is a character business. Are you listening to me? It is a character business. May you prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. So may the church at Nineveh prosper and be famous. How? What's that look like? This is a character business. You can be an adulterer. Listen carefully. I'll explain. You can be an adulterer and probably be a pretty good lawyer. I'll make somebody mad with this one. (laughs) You can be an adulterer and probably be a pretty good lawyer, doctor, or fireman. In fact, if I was going to need a surgery and found out the guy was cheating on his wife, I don't know that I'd cancel the surgery. I'd just look to see if his hands are shaking. You can be an adulterer and do many of those things. However, it is impossible to be an effective Christian when you're living in the act of adultery. There's a difference. Do you think I could be an effective minister of the gospel of Christ? If your lawyer's found cheating on his wife, do you ask him to step down? Do you ask him to resign, leave? No, but what if I did it? I'd be out of here tomorrow. Why? There's a difference. You understand? And by the way, if you think that only applies to preachers, you're wrong. It applies to anyone who carries the name of Christ. And that's us. It's a character business. Our character and our name are a reflection of His glory. As Christians, we... We try to act like our brother. We're going to fail sometimes, but our goal is to act like our brother, Jesus. He gave us his name. When, When we became one with Christ, he gave us his name. Do you understand? Boaz is giving Ruth his name. 
Jesus gave me his name. Are you ashamed of his name? It is his name that's going to make you eternal. His name on top of me makes me have a life that never ends. Are you embarrassed or ashamed of that name? Because that name brings accountability to my life. He's not just written his name on top of me. He's written his name on my heart. He's inside of me. Our character and our name are the foundation of our wealth and our prosperity. May we pray this same blessing upon those we know and love. Here it comes. May you prosper in Lawrenceburg and be famous in central Kentucky, revealing the source of your integrity, Jesus Christ. Blessing number three. This is the big one. I got to tell you. I could talk about this one for three days, but I'll try not to. This is big. This is so blow your mind out of the box big. He's, the elders look at Boaz and say this, and may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman, Ruth, who will be like those of your ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Now, I'm going to tell you, the average person will read that and say, oh, but do you have any idea what that means? You're going to unless you fall asleep. This is not going to be a normal marriage. Ruth has been married before and her husband has died. And she happens to be a Moabite, which Jews don't like Moabites. It's not going to be a normal marriage. This is the most amazing of the three blessings because it is calling, listen, listen, it is calling upon God to turn a mess into something beautiful. And I got to tell you, God specializes in this stuff. Let me tell you the story of Perez. Tamar and Judah, as found in Genesis 38. Bear in mind that this story, this blessing, is going to be connected to a story that occurs right after Judah and his brothers have sold their brother Joseph into Egyptian slavery. This event also occurs some 400 years. This kind of blows my mind. This event, what I'm about to read, Genesis 38, occurs some 400 years before the law. Before the law, this kinsman redeemer where you've got to marry a family member that has a widow. Judah, in the story, Genesis 38, Judah leaves his father Jacob and he, guess what? He marries a Canaanite woman. You're not supposed to do that, right? You're not supposed to marry non-Jewish people. Judah, his name will be Israel in the future. Judah leaves his father They've already sold Joseph off into slavery. He leaves his father and marries a Canaanite woman. She has three sons for him, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Remember, this is the third blessing of the elders to Ruth and Boaz. May your child be like Perea. So let's, let's find out who Perea is. I want to know what's this blessing about. So let's go to Genesis 38. Let's, let's look at the story. Here we go. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. Here she goes. And now her name's appearing. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life, killed him. Whoa. Number one son, gone. 
Then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, go and marry Tamar. What? What? It's this whole redeemer thing. She's a widow. Go and marry Tamar as our law requires of the brother of the man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan, the second son of Judah, was not willing to have a child who would uh, who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Whoa. Number one son, number two son, gone. And they're praying a blessing years later, be like this family. Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. So Shelah's not even in marrying age. He's only got three boys. So he says, go home. Be a widow, stay with your parents until Shelah grows up, my third son. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die. I mean, I get the fear. Your first two boys have dropped dead because they're connected with Tamar. So Tamar went to live with her father's home. Now, let's kind of do a recap. Judah, the, Judah's first son, Ur, was put to death by God because, simply because he's wicked. Judah's second son, Onan, was also put to death for doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Birth control got him killed. And you thought you came from a dysfunctional family. Really? This is a big point today. You think you come from a dysfunctional family? God can't use me because I come from a messed up bunch of people? Well, I've never seen a more messed up bunch of people. Tamar needs a redeemer. Right? In the Jewish situation, she needs a redeemer, a rescuer, because her first two have failed miserably. And in the Jewish situation, listen, she has no name. She's nameless. Nothing's going to continue. Judah, the father, knew that it was God's will to have his youngest son, Shelah, take Tamar as his wife to redeem her, to rescue her. But Judah, his name will become Israel. Judah refuses to do the right thing. It looks like Judah hasn't learned anything from the death of his two sons. And what follows is one of the most bizarre stories in all the Bible. I'm going to try to summarize it. Judah goes to another town. He's already sent Tamar away. She's supposed to be home with her parents. He sent Tamar away. Judah goes to another town to shear his sheep. Tamar is aware of his destination, and she is also aware that Judah has no intentions of redeeming her through his youngest son, Shelah. So Tamar dresses up like a prostitute, covering her face so that she can't be recognized, and she entices Judah, her father-in-law, to sleep with her. Tamar becomes pregnant, but Judah doesn't know that it was Tamar that he had sex with. When Tamar is three months pregnant, Judah finds out about it and is enraged. He has no idea that it's him. 
He finds out that she's three months pregnant, and what's he do? He makes plans to have her burned to death for her immorality. Huh? And I'm going to say it again. And you thought you came from a dysfunctional family? Tamar then tells Judah, right before he burns her to death, he te- she tells Judah, you're the daddy. Genesis 38, 26. Here's what he says. She is more righteous than I am. Because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shayla. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. What does this have to do with the elder's blessing of Ruth and Boaz 800 years in the future? Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Pregnant Tamar. Pregnant by who? Judah. Her father-in-law. Pregnant Tamar gives birth to twin sons. Perez and Zerah by her father-in-law. Perez, remember that name? It's in the blessing. Perez was the firstborn of the twins. Tamar has been redeemed even though the circumstances are quite bizarre. Redeemed by whom? Listen, listen. You got to go deep to get this. Redeemed by whom? Judah. What? Do you see it yet? Who is, Ju- who is Tamar's redeemer? Judah. Now, back to the story of Ruth and Boaz. The people of Bethlehem offered the blessing of Tamar and Perez upon Ruth and Boaz. This blessing is for God to take a hopeless family situation and make it hopeful. This blessing is God, can you do, can you straighten out this messed up family? Can you turn something miraculous out of messed up people? Do you think, now I'm going to ask, let's come to today. Do you think your family situation, past or present, is too big for God to deal with? I'll give you a moment. Somebody, some of you right now are thinking, Preacher, you have no idea how messed up my family is. Well, I'm going to tell you, if it's more messed up than this bunch, I don't want you to ever tell me. (laughs) Please, don't come share it. I can't handle it. Do you think your your past, your parents' past, your messed up situation is too big for God to do something supernatural? Obviously, he specializes in this. Tamar had lost two husbands and had no children to carry on her family name. She ends up pregnant by her father-in-law and gives birth to twins. Ruth, let's contrast it. She had lost one husband and had no children to carry on her family name. Tamar couldn't find a kinsman redeemer that would purchase her back. Tamar was desperate. She's desperate and she's hopeless. And that makes people do crazy, crazy things. Ruth was in a similar hopeless condition. Who would want me? I'm a Moabite. I'm a widow. Until Boaz accepted the role of her kinsman redeemer. Now let me summarize. There is no way. There is no way that the elders of Bethlehem could have imagined what God was going to do through this blessing. 
That story of Ruth is about a thousand years before Christ. Listen, about a thousand years before Christ. Now, now, with all of that frame, with all of that frame, I want to read to you Matthew chapter 1. Let's go a thousand years in the future. And I want to read the first chapter of Matthew. And here's why. It's going to reveal the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.1. This is the record of the ancestor, ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. What did his family look like? Huh? This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. Now, here he comes. Here's Judah. I just read to you Judah's situation. He's married a Canaanite woman, and everything after that looks like a disaster. And his brother, Judah and his brothers, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Do you see it yet? Anybody see it yet? Are you getting it? Spiritually speaking, Abraham is the father of all the chosen and redeemed children of God. Abraham's tree begins with Isaac and then Jacob, and he has 12 sons, and eventually it goes to David. But where will the Messiah come from? There's a fork and a fork and a fork in the tree. Where will the Messiah come from? The genealogy recorded in Matthew branches off from Isaac to Jacob to Judah. And from Judah came Perez, whose mother was Tamar. And that's not all. It gets better. Let's see how the story of Ruth begins. Or is this just the beginning? Jesus comes out of this family. Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord, here comes God. (laughs) And when Boaz sleeps with Ruth, he's brought her into, he's he's redeemed her. The two are going to become one. And guess what happened? Listen, listen, don't read over it. And then God shows up. You want him to show up. And then the Lord enabled Ruth to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And then the woman, then the women of the town said to Naomi, the mother-in-law, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous. (laughs) Be famous. May this child, who's this child of Boaz and Ruth that the Lord has given? May he be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him at her breast. She cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him, listen, 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 Obed. Stay with me. He became the father of Jesse, and Jesse, father of Jesse, and the grandfather of, say it out loud, 
David. Whoa. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez, was father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. Now, I just read to you a moment ago from Matthew 1, and it says that Jesus, the Messiah's ancestry, begins with Abraham goes through Isaac and Jacob and to David and Messiah. Boaz and Ruth's son is named Obed. He is the grandfather of King David. Listen, from the tribe of Judah. You can't make this up. Ruth was a Moabite woman, a Gentile, a foreigner to the covenant promises of Abraham. But Ruth has just gotten redeemed. She's gotten rescued. By whom? Who redeemed her? One from the tribe of Judah has redeemed her. Can you see it yet? A Gentile just got redeemed by one from the tribe of Judah. A Gentile just got placed in the lineage of the children of God, added to the family, given the name of the family. How? by one from the tribe of Judah. I don't know what kind of messed up family you might have come from. Or maybe you're in the room today and say, well, my family life seems pretty tame compared to this stuff. But I know this. There is only one. I'm telling you, all, of I've, all that I did last week and this week is to tell you this. There is only one Redeemer. There's only one that can take you out of this messed up Gentile fallen world and put you in this family tree called the children of God. One. One. There's only one qualified to redeem us. There's only one. In Revelation, there was only one who was worthy to open the scroll. Everybody listen, listen. The Apostle John is taken up into heaven and he gets to see the future. He sees everything. And he starts to cry because there's a scroll. It's got seven seals and no one is worthy in heaven and on earth or under the earth. No one's worthy to open the scroll. And he understands, he compares that, that if no one opens the seals on the scroll, no one's going to get redeemed. No one's going to get into the family. This plan of God to redeem a lost world is going to be lost. And he starts to weep, and he weeps, and he weeps. And an angel comes over to John and says, stop weeping, John. Why? Revelation 5, 4. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, look, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Can you see it? Anybody saying, if you can't see it, I don't know what, I don't know how to help you. Look, a lion, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. 
He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. I'm going to tell you, this is my story right here. This is it. This is my story. Is it your story? It can be. There's still time. Do you see it now? You see, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This one from the tribe of Judah, he has redeemed me. He has taken me out of the Gentile upside down world and placed me in the family of God. He's given me his name. He gave me his name. He's my brother. And because he's my brother, I'm in him. He's in me. Two have become one. And we're in the Father. My future is set. But there's only one. Do you see it? Ephesians 2.11. Understand. Is this you? Before or after? Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Outsiders of what? You're not in the family. You're not in the covenant. You got no promises. You got no future. In front of you is a grave, and on the other side of the grave is hell. There's a grave, and on the other side of the grave is hell. You're, you're like a Moabite, Canaanite, outside of God, lost Gentile. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were, con- un- you were called uncircumcised heathen. That's godless by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, before the Redeemer, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded. Do you understand? You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. That means you're lost. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You, didn't, you did not know the covenant promises God has made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. You had nothing in the moment and you got nothing in the future. But now. Somebody say hallelujah. Come on, somebody say hallelujah again. Hallelujah. But now. You have been united with Christ. Here we go. And the two become one. When the lion from the tribe of Judah takes a Gentile bride and gives her his name. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When, when his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Today, I, I want to close with the words of Job. Job's story was also a story of great suffering and trials. But in the end, these are Job's recorded words. Job nineteen twenty three, Oh, that my words could be recorded. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead and grape forever and a rock. But as for me, his words he'd like to see. Everybody on earth to see these words. He says, but as for me, nobody's going to be able to say this for you. You got to say this for yourself. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed by this thought. There are many things I don't know. 
I admit, there's many things I don't understand. But I'll tell you what I do know. But I'll tell you what I do know. I have been redeemed. I know. My Redeemer lives. I know what Job knows. Do you? It's not too late. Not yet. I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth on the last day. And after my body has decayed, let's just say they put me in a box and they put the box in the ground. Then after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I'll get a new body. I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. And I am overwhelmed at this thought. So I'll ask you, are you overwhelmed by this story? Because I'm going to tell you, there's going to be one family name that survives the story of man. One family name. The children of Abraham. Abraham can't redeem you. The one that came through Abraham can. They're called the children of God. They bear his name. Do you see Jesus in the story of Ruth and Boaz? He's everywhere. God wants many children. Jesus wants many brothers and sisters. But listen, for you to be the brother and sister of Christ, you must be born again. You must be born again to be in this family of God as a child of God to get his name. You must be born again. You must be born of the water and born of the spirit. You must be if you refuse to be born again. You refuse his name. Are you a Ruth or an Orpah? One was redeemed, bought back, one back snatched from the fire, and the other one went back to Moab. Which one? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Are you a Ruth or an Orpah? Which one? In the end, on the last day, there's going to be two groups of people, the redeemed and those who are not redeemed. Can you say honestly today, without a shadow of a doubt, by faith, by the Holy Spirit's presence, that you have been redeemed? You must be born again. Born of the water, born of the Spirit. You must become one with Christ. Christ becomes one with you. If you turn your back upon this, God didn't do anything to you. You did it to you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit will reveal truth and that your name would be honored today. Amen. Let's stand. The invitation's open.